ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, you can be seated. Let's, uh, let's definitely commit as a church to be praying. There really are a lot of people sick. Um, my family is, is sick again. Um, so uh, my oldest has the flu. I think he's almost over it. Um, my middle one has not a double ear infection, but a uh, fluid on both ears. And uh, I was amazed that they weren't infected because they're usually infected whenever their ears are hurting. They weren't infected. They just have fluid on them. But apparently the pain can be just as excruciating. So, And then our youngest son is somewhere in between the flu and an earache. Um, fortunately, he just kind of laughs at sickness. <laughs> Last night he was coughing in the middle of the night. It was about, I don't know, 2, 2 or 3. And we woke up in there and carried him in, in our room. It's like, buddy, you okay? He's like, yeah. We said, well, do you, you feel bad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, do you need something? No. Um, and we're trying to, you know, he's coughing and it's awful sounding. And we're like, buddy, I mean, you want some medicine? He said, just want to go back to my bed. <laughs> just like that. And Melissa and I were like, okay, <laughs> you go cough in your bed all night. And keep us awake. That's the, way we'll, that's the way it is. So anyway, there really are. There's a lot of people that are uh, just sick. Of course, it's that season. So can you guys commit to be praying for people? Uh, if you know people that are sick by name, call them out by name. If you don't know them by name, just say, Lord, the people that are sick. Um, as my boys pray, Lord, heal everybody in the world. You know, if you want to pray that way. So, All right, well, you got your Bibles. Um, today, we are going to start a... A three-week teaching series on the gospel, okay? Um, the reason that we're doing that is because a lot of times we may be going through life as believers and not even realize that uh, Christianity has become the plumb line of our faith and not the gospel. And when I say Christianity, I mean the religion Christianity, can be the plumb line and not the gospel. You guys know what a plumb line is, right? A plumb line, even by definition, I want you to hear it closely because this sets us up for this morning and really for the next three weeks. A plumb line, by definition, is a simple but accurate tool used to determine whether something is perfectly vertical or upright or not perfectly vertical or upright. It's a plumb line. It's usually a string. With in the old days, they would tie a little uh, a little rock or a little piece of lead, and you can be really still. And the stiller it gets, the more sure and accurately vertically aligned it is. The more upright that it is. The trend seems to be in our culture for the church to determine its uprightness, its plumbness, vertical alignedness by how well we function. In our religion, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the uh, uh, with the author Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb knows people. He's a um, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever he is. He knows people, and he says religion is man's way to do things reasonably right, so that we can live reasonably well. And I think this is ultimately what is being sown in our culture. This idea that 
we can be reasonably upright, that we can reasonably follow the Lord, or we can do things within reason. And I think the fruit of that is a lot of lives that aren't lining up with the life of Jesus Christ, even in Christianity, which is centered around Christ. Uh, Religion can become what we try to align ourselves with God by rather than just the straight, pure uh, gospel. And I think part of the problem is, um, is that religion usually is not very simple and rarely accurate. I like the way that Paul says it. And, you know, there's a couple of letters that he wrote to the church that existed in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And he was seeing some of this developing, um, probably further than developed. It was like, it was getting pretty crazy within the Corinthian church. So he writes them two letters. And if you read both letters, you can see him addressing this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he said, you know, guys, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, I'm concerned that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. In other words, the gospel, the good news. I'm concerned that you will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity. Oddly enough, purity translates uprightness. That you'll be led away from the, from the purity, from the uprightness, from the simplicity of the good news, of the gospel. And uh, in his first letters to the, to the Corinthians, I like this. This is one of my favorite verses because it's like, Paul's a bottom line kind of guy. I'm a bottom line kind of guy. He says in verse Corinthians 2, verse 2, he says, You know, I determined to know nothing among you except this. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he's saying these things because the Corinthian church was trying to make it about all kinds of other things. And there's all kinds of other things that you can make it about. And he's trying to tell them, listen, at the end of the day, isn't it Jesus Christ and him crucified? Over the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take a very, very simple look at the gospel. On the way here, I was actually thinking about um, um, this past year, 2010 was the year of car troubles for me and Melissa. Both our van and our, and our truck, it's been crazy. Anyway, I was thinking about um, uh, how the gospel it has like a, a simple side to it and a complex side to it. We can't be naive to that. And how um, mechanics or auto mechanics kind of has a simple side to it and then like a complicated side to it. And, you know, you're, you're driving down the road and you're, you're, all of a sudden your car starts kind of shaking and puttering and you know, and you kind of freak out and so you, you pull into the closest mechanic you can. Doesn't matter who it is. And you go in and I'm like, dude, and you explain to him what's going on. He's like, all right, we'll take a look at it. You know? So they're just sitting there and you're sitting there and you're waiting for them to take a look at it and they're looking at things and they're checking things and they come back and you're like, dude, what'd you find? What, what's the deal? Well, it seems that your, your carburetor, see, is not quite connected to your defibrillator and that's going to hit you now or later you know and he starts talking all this lingo and you're like i don't even know what a defibrillator is you know and you're like well don't even get me started about your flux capacitor because you don't even want to know what's going on with that and i'm like okay you know you know what i'm talking about they kind of start telling you all this stuff and you kind of feel like at that point you're being sold a bill of goods honestly you know 
And so you ask him, what are you saying, the defibrillator, the carburetor, the, you, you have now relators? You know, whatever. <laughs> and he's like, well, what I'm trying to say is you're out of gas. <laughs> but sometimes that's how the gospel is. It's like, you know, you get it from, in front of a preacher or, you know, the evangelist or, or whatever. And you're like, hear all these words and you're like, dude, what are you trying to tell me? And all you really need to hear at that moment is, dude, you're out of gas. In fact, you may have never had any gas to begin with, you know? And so my, my desire over the next three weeks is not to go crazy with the mechanics of the gospel, okay? But to, to revisit the pure and simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's three reasons that we're wanting to do this, that I'm wanting to do this. Um, for one, it'll be good for us, especially people who uh, belong to the Bible Belt, who've raised, maybe raised in Christianity, been in church a whole life, we're in an area where, you know, it's all about Jesus. For us to, um, to breathe the pure air of a simple gospel, even if it's just for three weeks. And we always need to be breathing that air. But to get that pure air, you know, there's going to be some people leaving on a camping trip today to go up to the hills of Oklahoma. And one of the things that they're going to experience that those of us who are not going won't get to experience is this pure, unadulterated air. It'll be good for us for the next few weeks to breathe in the pure and simple air, to personally um, just inhale. Oh, yeah. Just like Paul was saying, the pure and simple gospel. The other reason we're doing it is so that we will be able to breathe out (laughs) a pure and simple air of a simple, simple gospel. You know what I mean? So that we can exhale publicly. We want to, you know, we want to inhale personally so that we can exhale it um, publicly. The third thing is because um, the truth is that there are deeper things to the gospel. Paul tells us to watch our doctrine closely, what we believe, to study, show ourselves a proof, to dig into the word, to know what we believe about this, about that. There are deeper things, and we need to know those things. And so if nothing else, then it may be giving you a guideline as it relates to the gospel for you to go and take it a little deeper. Not that we don't teach deeper. I think we teach deeper in all kinds of ways. And even on the, on the staff level, we're talking about in the future, you know, we, we need a foundations class. For people that really, they want a, um, a stronger foundation all across the board as a believer. We're talking about those. These things are in the works. Don't know when or even how, but those things are coming. So we're serious about those things, about going a little deeper. So we're going to take a very, very simple look um, at the gospel. And specifically, three main components. And if you want, if you want to start writing things down, start writing these, th- these things down. The three Main components of the gospel are God, man, and Jesus Christ. It really is. You think about the gospel message is this. If you were to give it a a one-line, quick-as-you-can kind of a thing, God has provided a way of salvation for man through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the truth. There's a backstory of why man even needs to be saved relates to the fall of man. Adam and Eve basically decided to, to believe Satan's word over God's word. They decided to go after their desires 
rather than over God's desires. And what happened when that all happened was sin entered into the world. We know what Paul teaches about that if you're familiar with Romans. Romans 6, the wages of sin or the results of sin, what you get when you buy that bill of goods is death. We're talking the same lingo here? The wages of sin is death. That's one of the things he's trying to tell the Corinthians. In chapter 15, he says, as, as in Adam, all die. All die. Because of what Adam and Eve did, all experience death. He's talking about physical death, and he's talking about spiritual death. In Romans 5, he, he's kind of talking the same thing. He says, whereas by one man, talking about Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. So ultimately, man has been separated from God. Our sin has severed our relationship with God. If you're familiar with Isaiah 59, verse 2, it talks about how our iniquities have separated us from our God. Our sin has turned his ears from us. We don't like that portion of the gospel, but that is a part of the gospel, is it not? It's very true. If you wanted to bottom line it, you can say it like this. Without God, we are dead. Everybody say that. Without God, we are dead. One more time. Without God, we are dead. Now, the good news is, the good news is, is that in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, Paul finishes his sentence like this. He says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Well, that's the good news, isn't it? That's the good news at its core. What I want to focus on today is God's role in the gospel, okay? God's role. Remember I said three main components, God, man, and Jesus Christ. What's God's role in this gospel? And also remember what I said. Um, We're not going to dive into the flux capacitor of this thing because it would take us Years. Some of you have been diving into it, and you're like, you know all this stuff, and that's awesome. Remember what I said. For the next three weeks, let's breathe in the simple, pure air. Let's inhale just the simplicity of the gospel so that we can in- exhale it. Because a lot of times we, we try to share Christ with someone, and we're trying to say all this stuff, and people are like, what, what? And we're talking about the flux capacitors of the gospel, and they don't even know what it means to have gas in your tank. You know? Or we don't even go there because we think we do need to know all about the flux capacitor of the gospel. And we don't, I don't know all this stuff. And so I just won't share it all. Well, listen, let's breathe in some fresh, clean air and just simplify as much as we can. Okay? That's a good idea, I think. Don't you guys? So um, what I want to do is focus on God's role today. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ's role, although we've already been talking about Christ's role today, haven't we? It's hard not to talk about his role in the gospel. Because he's all over the gospel. It's about his blood, right? And then the third week, we're going to talk about our role in the gospel. What does it mean for us? So today, again, simply put, here's God's role. You ready? God is great. God is good. God is great. And God is good. Tony, that's just not difficult enough. I mean, I prayed that when I was a kid. And we need to still be praying that. We still need to have the basic understanding that God is great and God is good. What a song selection. Sean, thank you so much. I told him what I was going to be sharing on. The songs are just totally tilled up my heart this morning. It's like, yes, 
He is great and he is good. Let's look at those two things. First, God is great. If you're taking notes, follow along. God is great. Now, when we say that, we're talking about that, that wow, that whoa, God is just hard to fathom. God is huge. I can't even get this. Um, For example, you can talk about his sovereignty. In God is great, you can talk about his sovereignty. What does that mean? Um, well, there's all kinds of ways of going about it. It means that he's powerful. It means that he's all-knowing. He's ever-present. He's unchanging. He's completely worthy of our trust. And there's some, some mechanical, technical terms that you can use. You can talk about his, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. We can get into the, some of that stuff. I challenge you to go look into this. All I'm saying today is that he's great. One component is that he is sovereign. A simple way of saying that is God's in control. God's in control. What does that mean? I don't know. His ways just happen to be higher than my ways. Well, Tony, I've always wondered why bad things happen to good people and vice versa. Me too. We can dive into scripture all day long about that. But at the end of the day, we know that God is great. He is sovereign. And can I handle that or can I not? He's in control. What does that mean? I'm still figuring it out. One of these days we're going to know fully, won't we? Right now, I'm I'm still kind of wrestling through some of that. But I do know that he's great. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. And I look at Exodus 3.14, and this is kind of a, again, I kind of look for like bottom-line statements and and, uh, pillar-type statements in in everything in life, really. Um, Like the mechanic, do tell me what the problem is. You're out of gas. So Exodus 3.14, this is when um, God said to Moses, and we're familiar with this. He says, Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And you want something to communicate to the people of Israel? Tell them this. I am has sent you. Now there's something powerful about that statement. Well, what all does it mean? I don't know. I do know this. There was a time when Jesus, um, remember when he was getting arrested up in the garden, the people came to arrest him. He said, "Um, are you Jesus Christ? Are you Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus said, I am he. And what does it say? All those soldiers fell back to their feet. Why? Because there's such power in that statement when it's coming from God. Now, I could say, I am. And you'd be like, you're what? I know what you are. You're a fool, you know? But when God says it, there's power in it. Even if I don't understand what the power is, God is great. And in that, one of the things that means that he is sovereign. I am who I am. And this verse really underwrites hundreds of verses in the Bible. You can see that I have a ton up there. I mean, they're just, I can't even keep up with all the the, the verses that talk about his sovereignty. Another thing that has to do with God being great is that he is holy He is holy, he is perfect, and he is pure. And he is perfectly pure. He is righteousness. There is no sin in him. Well, but if that's true, then how did Satan, and then how about, and we have a lot of questions, don't we? Well, if there's no evil in God, then how did evil come in? If he created all things, then did he create? Man, those are great questions. And even on my best day, I couldn't give you a perfect answer. Not many people in this world could. We all have speculations. We all have ideas, ways that we interpret the Bible. But at the end of the day, I don't know how it all works. But I do know this, according to God's words, according to verses like Leviticus 11, Leviticus, what is it, 19? 
He talks about, I am holy. I am the Lord your God. I am holy. Jesus reiterates these words. He says, um, be perfect or holy. There's a word that I'm going to put up here. You may not identify with it right off, but the word is terrible. <laughs> when I say terrible, I don't mean that he is terrible. But in, in, the, in the, like the core definition of what that word, he is, he is to be revered. He's so holy. He's so great. It should terrify us. I mean, even the song that we sang this morning, You Are Good, it's kind of describing the way God moved and operated and showed himself in the days of Moses, in the days of the sacrificial system with the high priest. Are you kidding me? Pillar of fire come down from the clouds and rest over the holy of holies. You wouldn't be a little freaked out? That'd be a terrifying sight. And all the regulations and the rules that centered around um, the priestly duty, it's terrifying. There's a good, righteous, holy fear that is associated with the Lord God Almighty. Is there not? So in a way, it's terrible. <laughs> not terrible, maybe terrifying is a better way of saying it. Although you look in Scripture, and there's several verses, several verses, that in Deuteronomy 1, Deuteronomy 8, First uh, Chronicles, even in Malachi 4, the prophet, it talks about the coming, um, the coming day, the coming um, um, great and terrible day of the Lord. When God comes back, it will be a great and terrible day. God is great. And he's also good, right? Got your notes? Let's look at that. God is good. He is great and he is good. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Those are coupled together all over the word. He's gracious and he is compassionate. He is slow to anger. Some of your versions say he is long-suffering, meaning he will suffer with you for a long time. He's patient. Some of your versions may say he's patient. He is rich in love. Some of your versions say in loving kindness. He is rich in love. It means he's got more love than he knows what to spend it on. You can't break that bank. (laughs) You hear what I'm saying? You can't. Stretches across the sky. Bottom line, God's terrific. (laughs) Isn't he? God's terrific. We don't really use that word But what a great word to describe the goodness of the Lord. And so right there you see this contrast between the the terrible and the terrific, the sovereign in control of everything, the compassionately moved by the little things. That's our God. God is great and God is good. Amen? And again, these things can be expounded on and they should be. We should do that. There are intricacies of of God is great and God is good that that are worth understanding. Please hear me. I'm not dumbing anything down, but let's breathe that fresh air. What I want to encourage us with today is this. Now listen very closely because this is where the rubber meets the road today. What I want to encourage us with is this. We do not have to choose between his greatness and his goodness. Hear me, because we do this. Maybe not verbally, maybe not so well, I choose. Well, I choose. But we do, emotionally and spiritually. Listen, a plumb line gospel isn't choosing his greatness over his goodness. A plumb line gospel is God is both. 
He is both terrible and terrific. He is both great and mighty, and he is also good and loving. He is, he is the eternal king, and he's also Abba Father. This, this needs to go deep into our breathing, our oxygen, you know? What is that song we sing sometimes? God in our breathing, here in our exhaling. You know, we need that. I think what happens when we choose between his greatness and his goodness is uh, it causes a couple of things. One, it causes people to live um, unplumb lives. Lives that are out of balance, lives that are out of whack. And what I mean by that is someone that's leaning too hard on God is great, God is sovereign, God is this, God, there's a lack of joy. It, rob, it can rob you of joy. If, if you're swinging wide, if you're hanging out on that side of the camp, there's not enough joy. God is, God is terrible, everybody duck. And on the extreme opposite of that, focusing completely on God as love is there's not enough reverence of our holy God. Not enough reverence. God is terrific. Everybody party. You know? Got grace? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) It sounds funny, and we would never wear a t-shirt like that. But that, that, the fruit of our lives, we can see this, this unbalanced walk. And the truth is, there's joy in reverencing the Lord. I can... I can approach the throne of grace with confidence. I truly can. And I don't have to wig out when I get there. There can be an overwhelming joy in my heart. Paul talks about Philippians. If you ever read Philippians, it's all about joy. Rejoice. Joy. Joy in suffering. Joy in serving. You know. Another thing that I think happens whenever we are choosing one or the other is there's there's disunity in the body of Christ, you know. And this ultimately is, uh, is kind of where denominationalism, religion comes from. It's like looking at a house. You're standing in the front yard. They're standing in the backyard. They're both describing the house. They're both describing the same house. But they are literally seeing different things. They're just coming from a different angle, from a different view, from a different vantage point. We can see the gospel that way too when it comes to religion. We can see it from a different angle, from a different, a different perspective. I think the question is, is what, what angle are you seeing it from? What angle are you coming from? What is there in life that, that could even be possibly um, skewing your perspective? Because this is where religion comes from. You remember, I, I think I said earlier this morning, religion is never simple. It's never simple. And it's rarely accurate. I don't know if you're writing things down. I just I thought about this this morning. Um, that religion ultimately is, is, is man running with his, with his angle of God and demanding people to follow. Isn't it? Here's my angle on God. I'm running with it. Come on! But I thought this morning, you know, religion... Religion demands. And the debate in church is religion versus relationship, right? Religion versus relationship. Religion versus relationship. Religion demands. 
relationship displays. There's a big difference. I'm not going to demand anything of you. I'm going to display. I'm going to exhale. Ultimately, uh, as we study different, we might start seeing different parts of the house from a different angle, from a different grid, from a different, um, different lens, different filter. But are we not looking at the same house? That's why it's important to come back sometimes to the simplicity of the gospel as it relates to, to God. God is great and uh, God is good. And by the way, it's not our response to religion that aligns us with God, that, that brings us into plumb, that makes us upright. Religion is not our plumb line. It's our right response to the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes us upright. And the right response is, well, there's a response. What is the response? The right response is this, believing with our whole heart. Believing with our whole heart the unbelievably simple truth. I love the way Paul says it. When he writes to the Galatians, he says in verse uh, 20 of chapter 2, he said, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's it? Well, it can go deeper, but that's what I'm telling you right here and right now. That's it. The life I live, I live in Jesus Christ. You guys, I don't know if you're familiar with Acts. We did a study in Acts last, last year. And in chapter 8, where, um, where Philip encounters the eunuch, He's walking and talking with this eunuch, and it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and by then, apparently, uh, Philip was way into the story here, and the eunuch said, Look, water! What prevents me from getting baptized? In In other words, what keeps me from getting in on this whole thing? And look at Philip's response. He said, If you believe... With all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And there was a transaction that was made that day. It's that simple. Now, it has more mechanics. There's greater, deeper answers to to all that goes on. Words like propitiation, atonement, sanctification, justification. And those are words that we need to know and we need to understand what they mean. Why? Because the Bible's full of them. The simple truth is, is it's a right response, believing with your whole heart to the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say this. What you believe in the simple things will sometimes, maybe not all the time, but what you believe in the simple things will sometimes guide what you believe in the deeper things. Isn't that true? Think about believing. Jesus talked over and over and over and over and over again about believing as it relates to salvation, as it relates to healing, the different things that he was doing upon the earth. Over, In fact, um, within the Gospels alone, believing over 75 times. Talking about believing, believing, believing. If you're writing things down, write this down. What you believe about God will probably determine what you are willing to believe about his son. We're going to be talking about his son next week. That's why we're talking about God today, because what you believe about God 
your ability to walk in a balance of God is good, uh, God is great, God is good, may determine some of the things that you believe about the Son. I mean, and there's a lot of things. The way we interpret the Bible is on those two things. And if we're out of balance, we're out of whack. It will show up in the way that we live our lives. Amen? Next week, we're going to talk more about that. Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus as part of the gospel. Let's stand. I'm going to end with this today. Uh, I think there's plenty here to ponder. Amen? There's plenty to ponder. We, live the, we leave this pr- uh, place today uh, breathing that air, letting that get into our system. God is great. God is good. Let's commit to exhale that this week. Amen? Let's commit to exhale that wonderful view of God, that he is great and that he is good. Let's let it transform us, maybe, maybe redefine some of our, um, our thoughts, some, even some of our actions. Um, maybe, maybe this week is a week where we really seriously come in line with the Lord. We, we become more upright than we ever have because there's a, a clear understanding of part of the plumb line here. And let's go out and share that. that we, we, everybody in this room is now without excuse. Because we have given the most, we've been given the most simple version of who God is. Next week, we'll continue on. Let's simplify Jesus' work as complicated and amazing and wow, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Wow. But there is a real simple view that you can communicate to your own heart to the heart of others. Amen? And in the third week, we'll talk about um, the role that we play in all this. Okay? Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you're great. We thank you that you're good. And we worship you in light of both of those things.